Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 22. God is so cool. I mean, he's so cool. He's so good. I mean, he's so good. Let me, let me tell you, I didn't know. I prepare my pulpit schedules way in advance. And I do outlines and scriptures. And then I start praying into those things a few months uh, ahead of time. Well, when I prepared th this schedule, I didn't know what God was up to. Because I've been preaching nothing but kingdom through the conference. When I try to preach something else, it still comes back to kingdom because that's just the anointing that's on me right now. I was in three churches. I used three different texts, but I always ended up back at the kingdom. Usually that happens with me when I preach on grace, but now it's kingdom. So I haven't been able to get away from the kingdom. And then I look about a week and a half ago at what I was scheduled to teach on through our series in Isaiah, and it's Isaiah 22, which is a kingdom text. And I thought, God, you're so cool um, that you would do this. So I'm going to read about the first eight verses, and then we're going to jump to verse 20, and I'm going to try to give you a quick overview of all of it. Um, we're going to get through chapter 25 this fall, and then we'll, we'll pick this back up again uh, in 2020, and we'll preach some just fresh revelation and some practical stuff after we get to the stopping point of Isaiah chapter 25. Proclamation against Jerusalem, the burden against the valley of vision. The valley of vision. It is possible to get a vision in the valley. What ails you now that have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city, your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Therefore I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. For it is a day of trouble and a treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountain. Elam before the quiver with the chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. It shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. Now to fast forward to verse 20. And I'll cover that lost ground in just a moment. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder... So he shall open and no one shall shut. Does this sound familiar? And he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Verse 24, they will hang on him all the glory of the father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pictures. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. Heavenly Father, on this day of atonement, this special, precious day, 
where we remember your blood and your sacrifice. Lord, let us remember that when we are in the valley, you can give a vision. And Father God, when we are in decimation and destruction in the midst of horrible circumstances, Lord, that you'll give a vision and that you'll lift us up. And Lord, while we might be under demonic leadership in some areas of our life, you have the ability to promote a leader and replace leaders. So, Father God, we worship you as the one who promotes, the one who gives vision in the valley, the one who blesses us, the one who sustains us, the one who gave his son for us to die on a bloody cross. Father God, we believe that we will move from destruction to dominion, from devastation to power. Lord, from feeling like that all is coming to an end to gaining the victory and shouting, Yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Lord, we know that all things work together for the good for those of us that are called according to your purpose. Lord, we know that while things may seem bad, Lord, that there is a new season, there is another day, there, there is a new life that awaits us. And if we'll just be faithful and seek your word, there is a shift coming. And Lord, we're grateful that you are faithful in the shift. In Jesus' name, amen. Quickly, the Valley of Vision is a synonym for Jerusalem. It is an odd description because one would think the mountaintop would be the place of vision. That's what we as American Christians think. We think Christianity is all about the mountaintop. Christianity is all about getting to a certain place, hearing a certain voice, walking in a certain flow. But let me tell you this. I've heard more from God in the valley than I have on the mountaintop. I've heard God's voice more clearly when I've been in tears, on my knees, broke, busted, and disgusted than I have when I've had mountaintop experiences. Don't despise the day of small beginnings and don't despise your valley season. Sometimes God will speak to you at the valley so you can get to the mountaintop. And so this is what's going on with Jerusalem here. It has been savaged. It has been attacked by the Assyrians. The leadership is bad. They don't honor God like they used to. They're under a curse. And suddenly there's a vision in the valley that things will one day get better and there'll be a shift. I know people who have enough faith to pray that the boss that's treating them badly will be removed and the boss gets removed. I know people that have gotten the position that the person that was in the position had that was treating them poorly. You, we have to up our game in the area of prayer as a church and as a people. We've got to start declaring the kingdom, declaring God's best for our lives and realize that he can remove the hindrances and he can promote and that he can bless us in the valley. Somebody say, he's going to bless me in my valley. It's not all about the mountaintop. Where I've messed up most in my life as a pastor is I've been so focused on the, the mountaintop that I've forgotten to hear him in the valley. And we must remember to listen in the valley. We must remember to pray in the valley. We must remember the process. The process. God is in the process. God is faithful in the process. We always want to fast forward to the good stuff. But there are things that God wants to do and memories he wants to make with you in the process. I remember that movie years ago with Adam Sandler, Click, 
That is the most sad, depressing movie I've ever seen in my life. He has the remote control, and he gets to fast forward through difficult times in his life. And before you know it, the control jams, and he's fast forward through big moments in his kids' lives. And then he ends up depressed and all of that. It's the saddest thing ever. But I think sometimes in our Christian life, and listen, guilty is charged tonight, okay? Sometimes we, we pray for this, and we pray for that, and we, we're stressed for that, but we forget to... Praise God in the midst of the storm. To praise God in the now. God is in the valley. And he wants to hear from you when you are in the valley. You learn more about yourself in the valley than you do the mountaintop. You receive more revelation in the valley than you do the mountaintop. You learn more about others in the valley than you do the mountaintop. You'll find out in the valley who your real friends are. You'll find out in the valley who really loves you for you. Not what you can do for them. You'll find out in the valley who really believes in you. Some people are going to be for you when you're on the mountaintop. Because they want to get to where you are. But when you're in the valley, you'll truly find out who's really for you. Who will walk with you. Who will pray with you. Who will sing with you. Who will declare things with you. Listen, the mountaintop, everybody's for you. And you can't take people seriously when you arrive at wherever you think you should have been. you got to remember the valley. So I want to build this around the word privilege, at least this introduction. First, this vision came in the valley, and the valley was a place of privilege. We've heard a lot of things about privilege as of late. In fact, I had an email uh, some time ago about something I said on a Sunday morning about white privilege. Uh, I said that I do believe that it probably exists in some places in the United States of America, but that it wasn't allowed to exist in this place. And someone was offended by that and tried to email me and criticize what I said and said, Pastor, you shouldn't have said that white privilege exists. And, and I said, well, how do you know? You're white. You know, you can't tell me about that culture. You're not from that culture. And so I, I do believe that um, we can label things. You can call it white privilege. You can call it arrogance. You can call it pride. You can call it racism. But let me tell you what the Bible calls it, and that's sin. So when you ask me if some kind of label exists, forget the label. Let's just call it sin. Sin exists. Whatever label you want to put on sin, it's sin. Racism's a sin. If white privilege exists in certain segments of society, it's a sin, okay? And so a lot of uh, negative things have been spoken about the word privilege, okay? Um, and let me, let me tell you, I don't necessarily know if it's white, black, yellow privilege, but I do believe in the United States we have a wealth privilege issue. More than any other color, I do believe that uh, wealthy people can buy their way out of trouble quicker than poor people. I, I do believe that uh, people that come from old money seem to get out of trouble quicker and seem to get charges removed in the courthouse. And people that donate to politics, I, pre I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings tonight, but you know, uh, people that have done wrong that have money can seem to buy their way out of it. Doesn't matter uh, about what you call it, 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 what label you put on it, the Bible calls it sin. And I call it sin. And so 
when God speaks of privilege, it's not like we look at privilege now. Now we look at privilege like a, one class of citizens is better than another. The way God looks at it is all my children have privilege. All my children are blessed because they have my blood, they have my DNA, they have my spirit. And if you have the spirit of God, you are now privileged. You are favored. You are under the shadow of the Almighty. Doesn't matter what your outer skin looks like, what pigment your skin has in it. If you're a child of the Most High God, you are favored. You are blessed. You have privilege. This is a place of privilege here. Jerusalem was a place of privilege. They were also a people of privilege. Read your Bible. They were the apple of God's eye. Doesn't mean they're any better than we are because we've all been grafted in now because of the blood of Jesus. But we're speaking of a place of privilege, a people of privilege. The people of Israel were referred to as God's favorites. They heard God's word, though, in this text, but they refused to obey. See, God can love you and have favor on you, but you still have a choice to obey him or walk away from him. They refused to obey God's word. They were being invaded by the Assyrians, by the enemies, all in our text. They were being judged by God. That's what this whole chapter is about, being judged by God, but having a vision of the future, a blessed future, a change in leadership. God called them to repentance in our text. And how did they respond when God said, repent, get things right? When Isaiah wept, they laughed. Read Isaiah 22, all of it, when you get home. When Isaiah wept, they laughed. Reminds me of Americans. While they stored water, they forgot about the living water. When God said mourn through the prophet Isaiah, they chose to party and have a feast. Here we are, Yom Kippur. It's the Jewish New Year. It's a day of repentance. We should be repenting. Should be a day of holiness. I'm not saying we have to cleanse ourselves and go without this and that and go strict old covenant here, okay? I'm saying we should observe it because we get to, not because we have to. Get to is grace, have to is law. Get to is grace, have to is law. We get to observe the feast, we get to repent, we get to walk in the anointing of God. Their response in Isaiah 22, verse 13 says this. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. This is the modern, secular, humanistic view of most lost people in this country. Let us do what feels good. Let us party. Let us have fun. Because tomorrow we're going to die. Let us do what feels good. Because who cares anyways? I could die tomorrow. That's the way they felt. God responded by sentencing this nation to death. And he began to carry out his sentence on the people there. His first act was the prime minister Shebna. Isaiah 22 verse 14. The Lord of heaven's armies has revealed this to me. Till the day you die you will never be forgiven for your sin. Now this won't preach good anymore. You will never be forgiven for this sin. That is the judgment of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. So God started with the prime minister, Shebna. Shebna was 
the palace steward under Ahaz, but is stripped of his position under King Hezekiah, which if you go back to the first message I preached a year and a half ago, introduction, when we talked about all the different kings, we know that Hezekiah was the righteous king. He was the one to restore the, the way it should be. Amen? Got rid of the idols from the temple, did things right. He was the one who had a call on his life to bring things back to cleanse the temple. Everybody with me? So God can change leadership. God can remove poor leadership and put kingdom leaders over you that will promote you in due season. If God's got a plan for a church, a city, a nation, a home, a neighborhood, a region, God will move whatever pieces he needs to move to make sure that that region, that church, that home, that neighborhood fulfills its purpose. There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing I can do to stop it. We can be a part of it. But when God has called something or a people to be something, it's going to happen. No matter how hard the devil fights, it will happen. If God's called your children, it will happen. If God's called your grandchildren, it will happen. If God has called you to do something, it's going to happen. Nothing can stop God's plan for your life but you. But you. Stripped of his position under King Hezekiah. This was a type and shadow first of the mystery of Christ. He was replaced, Shebna was, by a man named Eliakim. The word Eliakim means resurrection of God or raised up. Eliakim is a type and shadow, first, of the mystery of Christ. Eliakim assumed his role and is serving in that role when God saves Judah, his people, from the Assyrians. So God put the right person in the right place at the right time to save a nation. Understand that all our groveling and crying and complaining and social media posting and Fox News watching and everything you try to do, CNN, if you'll cry out to God and you'll trust God, God will change things. He will change things. He has the ability to change things. Eliakim is now sitting at the right hand of the king as prime minister. Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. The prime minister was always at the right hand of the king. So it's a type and shadow of the mystery of Christ. It's a type and shadow of the mandate of the church, of our calling. Our calling. Listen to what our calling is. The office of Eliakim is a picture of the church who will hold the keys to the kingdom. God's given us the keys to the kingdom. The prime minister had the keys to Hezekiah's court. He was the treasurer, had the keys to the treasury. And he was the steward. See, when God gave us the keys at Caesarea Philippi and said he'd give us the keys to the kingdom, that means we've got a key to his treasury. We are stewards of all that God has. And we can get into the Holy of Holies. We can get into the king's court where other people can't get to. I got to be honest. I didn't even know keys existed in Isaiah. till recently. And I thought, God, you just love me, don't you? My goodness. He was given the keys. 
replaced Shebna, bad leadership, demonic leadership, idol worship, and a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, whose name in Hebrew means resurrected one, gets put in a position thousands of years before Jesus would come. And he would have keys that would parallel the keys Jesus would give his children in the New Testament. It's a type and shadow of the mandate of the church and the mission of the church. In Revelation, we talked about earlier last year about the seven churches. And there are seven churches that I believe will be present when Jesus comes back to earth. There are four of those seven that I believe will be prophetic pictures of the churches that will be thriving when Jesus comes back. Not all of them will be thriving. The lukewarm one won't be. Others won't be. But there will be some that will be thriving when Jesus comes back. It says in Revelation chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, These things saith he who is holy, he who is true, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts no one opens. Same exact wording used in Isaiah 22. What is the key of David? It's not the talit. It's worship. It's having a heart for worship. It's what David did in the field. It's what caused him to beat Goliath. It's what caused him to be promoted. When there was no way in the natural for him to be promoted as king, God called him, would birth his son through him. So the key of David is worshiping till you get your keys. And having the ability to go places you've never been before. The key of David. The key of David. Thyatira in, the, in Revelation, they worshiped ritual. May we never be a church that worships rituals more than relationship. Sardis worshiped reputation. May we never be so caught up in what people think of us that we forget to evangelize, invite, invest. And be stewards of the good things God's given us. Laodicea worshiped success. Earthly success. Philadelphia worshiped Jesus. They were the church of love. They loved one another. They will know we are Christians. The old song says from the Jesus movement. By our love. By our love. It's not a cheesy phrase. It's the truth. Read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. Read Paul's letters. You're not going to find anything more than love there. But yet we try every strategy in the world to convert people. And rarely any of it works. None of it works, hardly. Truth and spirit and love works. Still works. If we are going to be a church that loves Jesus, we must long for holiness over happiness. Holiness over happiness. By holiness, I don't necessarily mean your list of rules. I just mean a people that is passionate about getting in God's presence. And when they get in God's presence, they have the spiritual ability to see faults in their own lives. And they move from their sin into a place of confession in God's presence. And it's a safe place where they won't be judged by everybody. Where they can come and repent, get their life right, and know that their brothers and sisters in Christ aren't going to judge them. That we're going to love each other. We must be willing to forge ahead to the future in front of us as a church. We must be willing to repent when we get it wrong. You know, if we're not willing to repent, what's the lost world going to say that comes in here when they never see us miss it? They're going to assume, and they assume correct, that we are fake. 
Because everybody misses it. So if we don't start owning our junk in front of the lost world, they're not going to take this gospel seriously. And we've got to do it. Be willing to take responsibility for the mission. Responsibility for the mission. I told uh, this Baptist church I preached that Sunday night, and some of you men came, and it, it blessed me. I had a ball, and we, it was awesome. We, we broke up into groups, and we prayed for each other, and it was awesome. But I could tell I was stepping on some toes. The pastor was cheering me on, but everybody was being quiet. But I was just preaching the way I preach, you know. And, uh, but I was challenging that group of men. And I said, you know, it's not the pastor's job to grow this church. It's not the pastor's job to win people in this city to Jesus. It's your job. And I want to say that in this house. It's not my job. I, I've led plenty of people to the Lord this year, last year, and every year since I came back to the Lord. It happens naturally with me. I'm not bragging. I do it. Proof's in the pudding. I do it. In my personal life, in my travel life, I lead people to Jesus. It's what I do. Rough people, all people. The church has to take on this mission and take responsibility for it. And it's not my mission, it's God's mission. And we take responsibility for it and we go after it together in our own way with our own gifts. No guilt, no shame. Everybody works in different ways. I talked to a young lady today. She's in college. She's hanging out with people, living that life, but she's not involved in what they're doing. But people are drawn to her, want to talk to her about their faith, even if they've been drinking. She said, is that normal? I said, let me tell you a few stories. <laughs> I said, I got stories that I can't tell on Sunday morning, okay? I said, you can't run from the call of God. You cannot run from the call of God. If you had a frat house, an outhouse, a wilderness, a valley, if you are called of God, people will be magnetically drawn to who you should be. And God will thrust you into ministry right in the middle of your mess. I know it's happened to you, Brian. We've talked about it. It's happened to me. I've been at a party running from God and have somebody break down crying over something going on in their life come to me. And then I immediately had to start being a minister when I wasn't even wanting to be a minister. Years ago. When you're called, you're called. And when God says, I'm going to restore this land, this people, these, this place of privilege, the people of privilege, it doesn't matter what the enemy has to say. He doesn't get a vote. God will do what he says he wants to do. Jesus holds the keys the previous leader Shebna stood against Isaiah he encouraged people to keep sinning he didn't have a standard at all but God raised up a shadow a type and shadow of Jesus Christ that's what God does he raises up new leadership that's what he does that's who he is he will always do that even for you the church has been given keys but Jesus holds some keys some of those he doesn't give us he keeps a few for himself. What are those keys that Jesus keeps for himself? Number one. Number one. There are certain keys to the future. Keys to the kingdom. Now he gives us the keys of the kingdom as a church. But he gives keys to the kingdom to us. But there's a few he keeps. Why? Because he holds the future. He gives you keys to take dominion and bring heaven to earth as kingdom ambassadors. But he holds the future. 
You don't. You get to take dominion over this colony, planet Earth, but he holds the future. So he has a key to your future. And you can access it. You're given keys to open up doors, but what you choose to do with your keys is on you. But he holds the future. The Bible affirms that. Number two, he holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave and all of our fears. He has keys to those things. Revelation 1 verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. So he has the keys to the beginning and to the end. To the past and to the future. But you have to take dominion in the present. You're in charge of the present. He holds the key to your past and to your future. That why you, that's why you can't be accused of what you did in your past. Because it's, it's locked up in his kingdom. And the enemy can't get there. Finally. And I'm blessed to have learned this at a young age. And if you've been here for a while, you have too. But the key of David. This is the worship key. Now, he holds this key, but he also gives it to us. But not everybody gets this one. You have to access it. You have to access it. The key, our text says, is carried on the shoulder of the steward. That's what it says in Isaiah 22. That the key of David is carried on the shoulder of the steward. It's close to your heart close to your ear not too heavy but a burden nonetheless if you haven't worshipped him if you haven't gotten your secret place if you haven't prayed in a while there ought to be a draw a sound a burden not too burdensome but just enough to know he longs for more from you how many of you have felt that something on your shoulder from the steward a key waiting for you to grab hold of it and unlock heaven so that heaven can come to your arena, so heaven can come to your house, so heaven can come to your circumstances, so heaven can come to your cancer, so heaven can come to your mess. Key of David. Ephesians, the church epistle as I call it, because the whole letter is about the church, the future church, the glorious church, the rapture church, says to him be glory in the church. I was raised to love the church. It's not perfect, but on its worst day, it's the body of Jesus. On its worst day, it's still the safest place in the United States and across the world. Church isn't perfect. It's hurt a lot of people. It's hurt me. But it's still the body of Jesus. And God wants to be lifted up in his embassy, in his church, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Day of Atonement is all about. Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do, but his eyes were on Jesus. You may not know what to do tonight, but set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do, but he set his eyes on Jesus. But it says in 2 Chronicles that he gathered musicians. 
and worshipers, authentic ones. And they started to release a sound. And when they arrived at the battleground, the enemy was already defeated. When you worship, you'll show up and your enemy will already be defeated. I tell you, I'm a big tombstone guy. I love that movie. Forgive me. I'm saved by grace. And I was raised by Ron Phillips. But I love it. At the very end, old Lunger, old Doc Holliday's faking death. He was sick, but he was carrying on. He's the only guy that could have defeated old uh, Johnny Ringo. And Wyatt Earp goes up there, and his friend beat him to it and beat that devil. I'm telling you, I think about this text, Jehoshaphat in St. Chronicles. When he worshipped, they showed up and the enemy was already defeated. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of spiritual warfare all the time. We need it. But once you get the victory, we need to start worshiping and walking the victory so the devil doesn't keep pulling us down over and over and over and over. And I promise what you'll get this weekend isn't the same old, same old rebuke. I love what Carpenter said at my partner's conference. He said, sometimes... What if it don't buke? We've been rebuking forever, and sometimes things don't buke. And you know why they don't buke? Because we don't want them to. We don't want to change. And I'm telling you, if you want something from God, He'll bring glory and honor to everything you do. Our text, they will hang on Him all the glory of His Father's house. Now here's the prophetic vision in the valley. The offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. The glory, the glory, the glory, the glory. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place. You know, there's something to be said for being fastened into a secure place. I think this place is pretty secure. The enemy may not think so. But I think a track record from 1951 to now of winning people to Jesus is a pretty secure place. I think that's a safe place. Everybody that I've had walk through this, these doors from Pentecostals to Church of God to Baptists to everybody, they all tell me the same thing. There's good bones here. Be fastened in the secure place. Be fastened. Challenge in this season. Walk with your keys. Invite kingdom to invade earth. Walk with your keys. Trust God with his keys. And release worship to the heavens. Release worship. I, some of you don't like to, to, to pray with others. You don't like to worship. I'm just going to be real with you tonight. I don't care. I'm telling you, try it. Try it. Try it. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the label that was put on you as a child of being shy. Don't let people label you. When you get saved, you get a new label. Be fastened to something bigger than you that's secure. This is a safe place. I want you to stand on your feet tonight. He holds the keys. Everybody say that with me. He holds the keys. So what we're going to do tonight...
we're going to pray. Brian's going to lead us in a time of worship. I think it would be highly appropriate. We're going to take the offering, which is a part of worship. I don't know when we're going to do what. You do whatever you need to do. Give whenever you want to give. Pray whenever you want to pray. There's no format tonight except for repentance. You can come up here and kneel. You can lay on your face. It's 729. We've got a good 20 minutes at least, 25, to worship unashamed, to repent and make sure on this day of atonement that we're cleansed of anything that's out of alignment with God, that our hearts are thoroughly right with the King, that we are holding our keys. And I tell you, for one, I've been doing this for two days, and I'm going to do it again before I leave. I do have to slip out. But I'm going to do it again before I leave. I want to make sure that I'm thoroughly right with the King of Kings. Just lift up your hands and let's start this process of worship. Lord, you hold the keys. We love you so much, Lord. Lord, bring people to their knees again tonight. Lord, we pray for our friends in the city that are lost. Lord, in the state that are lost people who are, Lord, they're confused, they're distracted by the things of this world. Lord, they don't even know their future. They don't know their destiny. They're in a valley, but they don't see their way out of the valley. Give them a vision of victory, mountaintop, change in leadership. Lord, let them know in their spirit tonight that there are better days ahead. There are better days ahead. Father God, there's somebody that's not here tonight that's dealing with suicide. Lord, I pray the prayers from this place would get to that person's bedroom, to their heart, to their mind, and they would have a change of mind, that they would get a vision in their valley, that they would get a vision in their valley tonight. Hallelujah. Saints, just go ahead and pray. However you pray. You got a prayer language, do your thing. Do what you do. Lift up a prayer, lift up a praise. Do what you do. Hallelujah.